This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Let's talk about, okay, we're, we're on the other side of the 15th day. Shabbos was the 15th day of, uh, of Av. And now we're all looking towards the month of Elul. Elul is a scary month. For once we're in Elul, we're looking at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Sersimei Tshuva. So pretty much, as everyone says, after Tuba of the summer is over. over. Yes, you're all going to get in that last week, Chaparain, but the summer is over, and we're looking towards the serious part of our year. Very scary, scary thing. You know, people always give a reason for when people die, so they always ask, you know, because you want to make sure that you're not part of it. So, like, if someone dies of cancer, you're like, did he smoke? You know, and the guy says, yes, oh. Hashem, I don't smoke, so I'm not going to die of cancer, you know? And everyone's looking for the reason of death so they can say, oh, I'm not going to die because I'm not doing what that guy does. You know, I'm in shape, or I'm this, or I'm that. And, and you know, there's always a reason he, he, this person, how long did he have cancer? Three months. So how long was he sick? Uh, six months. And, and really, like I said last week, and I think I said it here, that the Mashkiach of Mir, you know, when they said that this man caught a cold in February, so he said, no, he caught a cold on Yom Kippur. Doesn't mean a physical cold. If he would have davened good on Yom Kippur, and he would have davened good on Rosh Hashanah, then he would have been written in the Book of Life. So whatever happens to you during the year is based on those ten days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Because on Rosh Hashanah, the Tzaddikim are written in, and the Risham are written in. But the Bainanim, which most of us are, where Hashem says, well, we're just going to leave it open a little bit, and uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. So... The Bainanim, Hashem leaves to Yom Kippur, and it's finally written and signed on Yom Kippur. So everything that goes on in our year, whether it's financially, we find the Shidduch, having children, all these different lists that we have, didn't happen during the year. It happened on Yom Kippur. So Elul is our preparation, those 30 days, for our court case on Rosh Hashanah. Now, some of us are judging on Rosh Hashanah, and sometimes not judged for good, and as anyone here knows who's ever been in court, that once the judge says guilty, then you got to go to appeals court. And an appeals court, the percentage of winning an appeals court is extremely low. Once it's written that you're guilty, it's very hard to change. you got to try to change it before you become guilty. Now, when they call you in Rosh Hashanah night, when they call you in the Shama, in front of the Bezin Shamayla, in front of the court, so... They ask, and, and we'll get to that story in four weeks from now, three, four weeks from now. So they ask all your mitzvahs to get on one side of the scale, and they ask all your averis to get on the other side of the scale. So many of us at this point may be very weak on our mitzvah side and very heavy on our averis side. So now's our chance. We have, we have about 30, about 40 days to get, do as many mitzvahs to put on our tzitzes, which is an easy mitzvah, which you get every second of mitzvah. I still don't understand guys who call, who walk around without tzitzes on it, makes absolutely no sense. It is the easiest mitzvah that Hashem gave us. It's like His present to us. Every second, right? It's like that turn hour watch. You ever see that on the corner of turn hour corner? And the seconds are flying, right? So those mini, every mini second you see on turn hour watch over there, you're getting a mitzvah for wearing your tzitzes. You have to be out of your mind not to wear tzitzes. If you ask a guy, why don't you wear tzitzes? They'll say, uh, they're itchy. Um, you can see it through my shirt. You know, so now they came out with these tzitzes that is part of your undershirt. It's like an undershirt with tzitzes. 
So there's like really no excuse. It's such an easy mitzvah. You're coming with 40 days for Rosh Hashanah. That's 40 days. You do the amount of hours that you wear your tzitzis every second. You're getting a mitzvah. You're going to put all these hundreds of hundreds of thousands of malachim on your scale. Why wouldn't you wear? I understand tefillin. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. This, whatever you're going to tell me. But tzitzis, you don't even know that you're wearing them after a while. So Yitzhahara very much tries to get guys not to wear tzitzis. Very silly, silly things. You, you know, yarmulke is not a mitzvah from the Torah. But tzitzis is a, not that you shouldn't wear a yarmulke, but tzitzis is a mitzvah from the Torah. Every second, every second that you wear, you get a mitzvah. I don't understand. Why wouldn't you put that on? That is like such an easy mitzvah. And guys don't wear tzitzis. Lo mevin, I don't understand. But anyway, so these 40 days are 40 days of preparation for us to get our court case in shape so that we uh, get it written into good partners so we don't have to get onto that list. And that we're not going to be sick and that you're going to find your shidduch and people don't have children are going to have children and all the good things. The work you got to do is now. Now you got is what you got to do. And if you get the written in the right books, Rosh Hashanah, then it's very hard for them to kick you out of those right books. It's very hard for them to get you out of those right books. So the question arises like this. If you open up a Shulchan Aruch or a Mishnah Rura, it says that Elul is called Elul for many reasons, but one of those reasons is that it stands for Ani Lidodi Uledodi Li. I am for my loved one, and my loved one is for me. That's very nice and very romantic, but what does that have to do with Elul? And what does that have to do with Rosh Hashanah? That's something that Shlomo Melech would write. But what does that have to do with me asking forgiveness from Hashem? On top of that, there's another question. is I'm to my loved one and my loved one is to me. Right? That's loving Hashem and Hashem loves me. But we know that from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur is 10 days of din. Very tough days. We're scared. We're fasting. We're nervous. We're saying slichot, right? I know that, that the Sardim say slichot the whole month. That's when we get you back for the nine days. If you know, you, you don't got the nine days, we don't got the whole month slichot, you know? But they say slichot every day, and we don't, we just say the week before. I think this, this year it's pretty, it's a very short week. But Lamaisa, those days are very, very scary days. Now, if Elul, and then after that comes the days of love, Sukkis, Simchat Torah, Shmini Atzeres, which is the top, top of the day of, of, of love. It's called the Zivug of, of the marriage, the Zivug, even more, whatever. In the Zayar, it talks about the, the Shmini Atzeres is like the top, 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 top. So we first have that fear, like you, before a chassan gets married. So he's nervous, he goes under the chuppah, he's fasting all day. That's Yom Kippur. Then comes all the lovey-dovey stuff. Sukkis, we sit, we, we do, we, we say the Ushpizin, right? We invite Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov in. We sit in the sukkah with Hashem. We leave our house. We're with the kala. Very happy times. So, if you're preparing Elul before the, the ten days of fear, that means that Elul should be a preparation of fear to get to the days of fear. And then when you finish the days of fear, comes the love. Here you have, I need a day, day, Lee. I love you, you love me. And then all of a sudden fear, and then all of a sudden love again. So, what's up with this beginning of, of 30 days in Elul, which is coming up soon, of love, it should be fear. And anyway, if you're preparing for a court case, <laughs> you're nervous. So, 
There's a very, very beautiful answer, and I think is what, a little bit what I'm going to focus on in the beginning of my share tonight. And the answer is that Elul, what we do in Elul, is we, we, we're, we're planning. In other words, if I get into my car and I want to go from the George Washington Bridge to Monticello in the mountains, right? I want to go look at that pool room from last year that's closed, and now they're selling window shades. <laughs> I go buy it all the time. I, you should just know that. I drive by. It's closed. It's, it's a window shade store. I'm like, who owns Monticello? God. Shev owns Monticello. Anyway, so if you're looking from Washington, you want to go from the Washington Bridge to Monticello, so you put it to your GPS, right? Where are you going? You want to go to Monticello. So you have to plan. Whenever you do something, you have to plan where you're going. Now, if you want to go to Monticello and you put it to your GPS, Florida... You're going the other way on 95, totally the other way. So in Elul, this is what Elul is, boys. In Elul, you're programming your GPS, you're programming what I want to do before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and in those 10 days. You're planning on what am I going to do? What am I, what media, what am I going to change? Is it going to be movies? Is it going to be other places? Is it going to be gambling? Is it going to be drinking? Is it going to be Lashon Hara? Is it going to be talking in shul? Is it not going to Minyan? Is it going to be not keeping Shabbos? What's, what, what's my plan? What, what am I plugging into my GPS? That I, where am I going? Where am I going? You got to have a plan. Where are you going? Right? Am I getting off Facebook? I just want you to know that continuously, I should have brought it tonight, and the next week, this girl wrote me a two-page email, right, how she got off Facebook, and it totally changed her life, and her friends are making her crazy, right, and that she, she brought, she, oh, whatever, I'm going to read it to you, how it changed her life, the guys that used to get, try to contact her, don't know where to find her, and it, it totally changed her whole life. So, we have to have a plan in Elo. what's our plan? Now, very scary, and I just spoke, I spoke um, last night. Last night I was, in, I was in Camp Sternberg. I spoke in Camp Sternberg. It was very interesting. I scared them last night. So <laughs> I didn't mean to scare them, but, you know, they, 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 in, in Camp Sternberg for girls, there's 1,500 girls there. They live out in the woods. And um, so they have this, like, room where, where when I go to speak, you know, they're all in there. And I gave my whole speech of last week about that I used to be a hockey player, and that I punched this guy out in the middle of the base medrash, and that my Rebbe taught me how to control my temper, and control my anger, and Baruch Hashem, since then, I'm totally in control, I don't lose my temper, I take that, that temper, instead of, and I didn't use the word pity, by the way, I have the, the new word is compassion. You change your anger, really, that's the right word, because pity is a balgaiva. You know, oh, I have pity on you, you poor guy. That's wrong. That's not the right word. You have compassion for the other person. So I was telling them that, you know, you have to learn to take that anger when you're really angry at someone because they just insulted you and turn it into compassion. Right? And as I'm saying, turn it into compassion, there's a girl in the crowd that sneezes. Right? And I'm saying, you have to turn it into compassion. She goes, that's you. And I'm like, you sneezed in the middle of my speech. What's wrong with you? And they all jumped and they all went like, I said, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I told you I don't get angry anymore. And they're like, it took them like five minutes to get it, you know? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not doing that again. It was like, wow. It was like five minutes, they were all like, oh, like, 
He's gonna, he's gonna take a hockey stick, you know, and come around, you know, one of those, anyway. Anyway, so you have to be careful when you're a Rebbe that, you know, you wanna be funny. I can't be, you gotta be careful, you know, what you say. But anyway, you have to have a plan. You gotta come up with a plan. You gotta put in your GPS what you're gonna change this year. Because, remember what you promised you weren't gonna do this year? Last year? Guess what? Most of us are still doing it. So, now we're very smart, and we have to get a plan, like on your GPS, which roads to take, because I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself. A lot of the things that I stood on Yom Kippur at Hashanah and said, I'm going to change, I really tried, but a lot of it didn't change. So now i got to look back at my battle that I lost, and i got to look at what I did wrong, and i got to look at how am I going to change it this year and win the battle. That's Elul. The month that's coming up is a month of Anila Daidi Daidi Lee. Now, why does it mean I'm going to be for Hashem, Hashem is going to be for me? Because the truth is, guys, that we cannot beat the Yetzirah. He is a Malach, and we are human. So, to beat the Yetzirah, you need God. You need Hashem. Two weeks ago, I was, I was standing here in, in, in Flatbush by Landau's. I had finished davening. This little kid came out of shul. I don't know. Maybe he was seven years old. And I happened to have been standing there. So the light changed. And he came over to me and he said, could you cross me? Could you cross me? He said it in Yiddish, really. And he said, could you cross me, you know, across the street? Of course I'll cross you. So we will look this way. Because I wanted to teach him, you know. And we looked that way, even though the light was the right way. And I said, okay, when you look both ways, there's no cars coming, we can cross. He looked at me like there was something wrong with me. Okay. <laughs> and I crossed him. And then he ran down the block. I said to myself, Hold on. Listen carefully. He doesn't know me. Why did he trust me? Why did he trust me to cross him? Maybe I'm some Meshuggah, and I like to run between cars. <laughs> so I'm going to wait till the last second till the car's right in front of us, and then we're going to cross. This kid never saw me before in his life. Okay? He's too young to watch TorahAnytime.com. So he doesn't know what I look like. He doesn't know what I look like, right? Why did he trust me to cross him in the middle of, a, of the middle of Avenue L, right, where cars are going all the time, that maybe this crazy man is just going to leave me in the middle of the street, and he doesn't know me. I'm not his Rebbe. I'm not his father. I'm not his cousin. I'm not his uncle. Why do you trust me? Because I'm an adult, and he trusts adults. doesn't know me at all, right? There's a certain trust. There's a certain trust. When he put his hand into my hand, that... This hand that he's holding is not going to hurt him. And he's going to be very careful before this hand, because he doesn't know me more than he knows my hand. He doesn't know who I am. So my hand is connected to me, but Lamaisa, he's holding my hand very tight that this man, whoever he is, I trust across the street, right? So that's a hand in a hand. So when it says that Elul is Anila Daidi it means exactly the same thing. That you put out your hand to Hashem in the month of Elul. And it brings down in Kabbalah that in the month of Elul, you don't have to go to Hashem, but God comes into the world and goes around the world to see how we're all doing before this big court case. So, all you need to say is, Hashem, listen, I got a lot of situations that I got to cross. After 120 years, you're going to see all the cars that just missed you. And all the trees that fell right behind your head when you were walking down the block. And all the drunken people on the, on the Palisades Parkway, you drove by that were really drunk, 
and that any second could have could have killed you. And buses that are, the guy's falling asleep at the butt. So many things you're going to see how Hashem saved you. And so many times you wanted to buy a stock and you and you put the order in too late and the stock fell. You didn't even follow it afterwards. And so many times you wanted to make an investment, you would have lost everything. And so and and one time you didn't want to make an investment, Hashem got this guy to bump into you. Happened to be eating lunch. Your whole life, your whole life is crossing the street a million, a hundred million times crossing the street. And who's the hand that holds you? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the month of Elul is a month where it's Ani Ladaidi Ladaidi Li. It's a month that we understand. And, and really, you know, that's what I spoke to the girls about last night. I, I don't know how to get this point across. And I can't tell you why I'm plugged in, because I can't really tell you why I'm plugged in this way. But a person who wants to be successful in life has to be plugged into Hashem 24-7. Now, what does that mean, you're plugged into Hashem 24-7? That means that everything you do, right, you, you die, you, you have to go to, you know, this, this happened today, I drove to Pennsylvania today. So it's like a, it was like a 268 miles from the mountains to get to Hershey Park. I have to get to Hershey Park. No, I didn't go on any rides. I don't eat any of the chocolates because I'm lactose intolerant. I don't eat But I went to actually to sell them bags. That's what I went. And... And I was driving, and I had to go to the bathroom. And it was a stretch there where there were no bathrooms, and I wasn't going to go off into some house or whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, as I'm driving, I saw a sign, and it said, you know, it has these signs like when you get off an exit, even though it looked like there was only farmland over there, but they have like, they'll show you if there's a store, and if there's a hotel, and if there's a gas station. And it was Baruch Hashem, a gas station. So, so as I'm going off the exit, I'm talking to God. I'm serious, I'm like... Hashem, you don't even know what you do, but thank you so much because if this was two miles from me, I don't know if I, I don't know, I don't know what would have happened. I'm serious. So I was like, so I'm talking, you're talking to Hashem all the time. You go to the bathroom, talk to Hashem. You, you, you're hungry, and you go to a restaurant, the food's good. You have to really be what Elo, Anila Daily Daily. It's me and you, God. It's me and you, God. It's me and you. And I was, I was telling the girls last night that, that they're up in the mountains and it's, it's, it's a beautiful camp. They got lakes and they got, you know, butterflies and trees. It's very wooded. It's, 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 you know, wild raspberries and wild blackberries. And I'm like, you don't, you don't even understand. You don't even understand. Cause we don't think like this. I, I don't know why I think like this. I can't really tell you why. It's just somewhere that I, growing up, I guess, I don't know, that I got very close to Hashem. And, and you, you, you're in this painting. It's like, it's like sort of going to the Museum of Art and, you know, you have all these paintings and settings. One's on a river. One's uh, in the sky, all these different, and, and like Hashem puts you in all these paintings. And so like, girls, you're city girls, and now you're up here, and Hashem takes this person and puts him in Sternberg, in, 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 in the woods, they got bear, they got deer, they got, they got raccoons, they got, and, and, and all of a sudden you're in this painting with all these different animals. And then you're in this painting, you're in New York City, and then you're on a plane somewhere, and every day you're in a different, he puts you in a different frame. That's amazing. It doesn't leave you in the same frame. And, and as a Jew, we have the most exciting religion. Guys walk around, Sukkis and Pesach. We have the most exciting religion. We have a holiday every month. And if we don't have one, right? The one month we don't have a holiday, we call it Macheshvin. That's a bitter month. We don't have a holiday. We have a holiday every month. We have a Shabbos, boys. We have a Shabbos. Every week. And then we have a Yontif 
you just finished Tisha B'Av, then you have Tuba B'Av, then you have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Shemitah Tzeres and Chanukah and Purim and Shavuos, and you got Pesach. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And we're complaining, it's boring. What do the Goyim have? They have one holiday for one day. That's it. One holiday that they all celebrate. I don't want to mention it, in it but you know what it is. Right? And it happens to be good for, for retail for us. You know, we do good business. <laughs> it works out, you know? It works out a little bit, you know? But, but they have this, they have the one holiday. That's it. They have no choice. Look what we have. Just, just take a second, cause I, I don't think, Anila Daily, I don't think we appreciate what Hashem gives us. Let's just take a second. Let's, let's just take a second. Rosh Hashanah. Right? Rosh Hashanah. We come to Shul and we blow a shofar. Do the Goyim have any holiday they blow a shofar or no? Right? They don't. So we blow a shofar. The family gets together. You have all these foods which we're going to learn about. You dip the apple in the honey. I hope I make a lot of money, you know. You have, <laughs> you have all those different things that you do. You do all your dippings, pomegranates, you know, and, and all these different things. And it's beautiful. You sit at the table with your whole family. And Rosh Hashanah is absolutely beautiful. And yeah, you go to shul. And, and you, and, and they sing in shul, and the, and, and the Svadim, I used to go to the, I used to always be in Eretz Yisrael, you know, for Vasikin, and the Pizmonim, that, you know, that you sing by Slichas, or Anah Hashem Hashem, and all this stuff. It's amazing. And you, and you have this beautiful holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And then, totally the other way. You come to this Yom Kippur, where everyone's fasting, everybody's crying, everybody's serious. So God is taking you, this emotion, this emotion. Right? It's not boring. And then, right after Yom Kippur, boom, build a sukkah. Right? Right after Yom Kippur. And it's a stroll more than America. Everyone's running around, and they're building a sukkah, and you got to buy a lulav, and an esrig, and a dasim, and a ravas. Right? Then you're in sukkah, then you have chalamoy trips, and then you have Ashana Rabbah, and then you have Shemini Atzeres, and then you have Simchas Torah. What a fantastic religion. And, and we keep changing, and you gotta buy suits for this, and clothing for this, and you gotta buy a, a, a sukkah, and a portable sukkah, and this sukkah, and Cholmoid, you're going on a trip, and then before you know it, it's Hanukkah. An amazing yontif. Eight different day, eight, eight days, each one's a different yontif. You say Hallel, you have your candles, and you have your prizes, and you have your toys at Ross. Totally, totally shift from the last holiday, which is Simchas Tyra. Simchas Tyra, you're dancing with a Tyra. Hanukkah, you're in Toys R Us buying presents for your kids. No, it's amazing. We're not, we, we don't, we don't understand what Hashem gave us. Right? And then you have Purim, which is totally out of here. Right? Totally out of Hanukkah. You're eating and you're drinking and you're going to shul and they're making noise and then when they say Haman, everybody's getting dressed up in costumes. And then, 30 days later, you're already thinking Purim? It's Pesach. And, and I don't have to tell you what a Seder is like. And Matzah and Marar. Hashem gives us all of this, and then Shavuos, you stay up all night, and then in between that you have Lag Baomer, and you have Tisha B'av, and then you have Tubov, you have a whole year non-stop. Inside of all that, every month is Chodesh, and every week is Shabbos. Ani l'daydi, l'daydi li. HaKadosh Baruch God keeps putting you in a different frame, in a different painting, and you're the main actor. Look how many parts you get to act a year. Every, every Jew, look at this. We're, we're actors in all these different parts. Now I left Mitzrayim. Now I'm with that guy, Homer and Achishverosh. Now I'm on top of a mountain getting the Torah. Now I'm walking in the desert in a sukkah. 
It's amazing. But instead of appreciating it, we're like, I don't like my yantif. Let's, you know, let's go to a hotel for Pesach. And uh, let's get a Hanukkah menorah, you know, that lights itself. You know, you just go, light on, light off, and the candle goes off. You know, it's like, no problem. And put on my hate, because people are knocking on my door. And the answer is, you know, we don't appreciate it. We're not that little kid that puts her hand in Hashem's hand and says, cross me. Cause I, cause I trust you. I don't, even if I don't know who you are. And I don't really know you, but you're God. You could. So there are millions of times during the year where a person could put his hand in Hashem's hand and say, cross me. Get me across the street, Hashem. Get me through my problems. But we don't talk to him. We don't talk to him. So we stand on the other side of the street like the little seven-year-old kid and we watch all the cars go by and I can't cross and they sit there all day. So they learn to ask the adult to cross them. We need to learn to talk to Hashem about everything that we do during the day. Hashem help me with this. Hashem help me with this. Right? And I'm, I'm not talking about dominating out of a sitter and I'm not talking about benching and making a bracha when you, when you eat something. That you have to do. I'm not talking about what you have to do. What you have to do also connects you, but only if you have the right kavana that it should connect you. Because you can be disconnected and do what you have to do anyway. But when you talk to Hashem personally, from your heart, walking through the woods, picking raspberries, like, God, that's like, that's a perfect berry, that's amazing how you made this. Or just to look at, I know you think like I'm very weird, like how I'm talking tonight, but I'm not, I'm not very weird. I'm telling you that to be happy in life and to get somewhere in life, you gotta put your hand in Hashem's hand. And even though this kid doesn't know me, and you say, but, but Rabbi Wallstein, I don't know Hashem. He never spoke to me. I never spoke to that kid either. The kid has no idea who I am. He just trusts me. He trusts when he puts his hand in my hand that I'm going to get him across the street in one piece. We need to trust Hashem that he's going to get us across the street in one piece. And that is what Elul is. Elul Hashem is traveling through our world, and all we need to do is to stick our hand out and to tell Hashem, God, I need your help. I got a plan. It didn't work last year. I said I'm going to be Mava the Sedra every week. I said I'm going to get up at 7 o'clock and then I'm going to learn for an hour. It didn't work. I need your help. I need you to help me that this year whatever I'm going to promise I'm going to be able to go through. And Hashem will help you. You have my word. You have Rabbi Wallace's words. Not much, but you have my word that, that Hashem will help you. You have to reach out. Your whole day has to be about Him. It has to be connected. It doesn't have to be. It's for your sake. It should be. And that's Anila Daidi Ladaidi Lee. And that will get you to the that's the plan. The plan is that I want to love you, Hashem. So then after Yom Kippur comes Sukkis. So you're planning, you're putting your GPS in Elo. You're typing in your GPS in Elo that Hashem, by the time I get to Sukkis, we're gonna be best friends. That's what you're plugging in. It's like an architect, you know? The architect draws the plans. The building's not made. The building's not made. But the building is made. You didn't build the building, but once the architect finishes plans, that is what the building is going to be. We in Elul, in the month that's coming, we need to draw what our year next year is going to be. That's our job in the next 40 days. We need to think about it. We need to give it some time. And we need to plan out what we're going to do, how I failed this past year, and how I succeeded. And how I'm going to succeed next year, and how I'm going to try not to fail next year. That's what the month of Elul is all about. Putting your hand in Hashem's hand that He can cross, take you across the street. And there's no one better that can take you across the street than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And even if you don't know who He is, right, you do know that you can trust Him. You do know that He's the creator of the world. 
And I don't mean you got to walk around with your hand up like this, okay? You have to talk. You have to talk to Hashem outside the sitter. And you have to make that connection. Okay, I want to talk a little bit, a subject that I really never really talk about that much, and I really think that it's very, very important. And that is being honest. I don't think I ever gave a chabura ever about being honest in money, business, relationships. And this week in Pasha's Akev, there's a very, it was a message sent to me actually, and I'll tell you the story when I get to it. Um, and Baruch Hashem, Hashem sends messages. I haven't opened the Medrash Rabbah, I haven't given you guys a share from Medrash in a long, long time. For some reason this week, um, I decided to open the Medrash Rabbah. I want to read to you what it says. And it says the following. It's talking about the honesty of human beings. And he says like this. There was a story of Meisah where Pinchas ben Yoyer. There was a great tzaddik, his name was Pinchas ben Yoyer. And he lived in a city in the south. Okay. Two people came, it's a famous story. Two people came to that city. And they wanted, they wanted to go on a trip. And they were scared that they were going to go on this trip. They may get killed. They may get robbed. In those days, they had all these bands of, of robbers running around. So they gave him two bags of barley. That's what they had on them. And they said to Rapikos ben listen, we don't know if we're coming back, but we need someone to watch our, our, our bags. And all we have is two bags of barley. Do us a favor. Put this in your house. We'll be back in a, few, in a year. And you'll give it back to us. Okay. He waited a year. The guy didn't show up. The barley um, seeds began to rot. So he went ahead. There's a, there's a whole Gemara on this. What do you do if someone gives you something to watch and it's rotting? Can you eat it? Let, let's say I give you bananas. It says, I'm coming back tomorrow. You, you wait. You're watching it in for free. And it's two days, three days. It's getting brown. If you're going to leave it there another two days, no one's going to be able to eat it. When they come back, it's going to be rotten. Are you allowed to touch it? If someone gives you something to watch, are you allowed to touch it? There's a whole Gemara. a lot of Gemara's on this. If someone leaves you a car to watch and he doesn't come back, Right? And do you have to start it every day? Do you have permission to start it? He didn't give you permission to start it, but if you don't start the car every day, anyone knows. If you leave the car for a year, you're going to have all kinds of problems. There's many, you have to learn the Gemara, but there's many halacha things. But here he saw that, the, that this was rotting. So what did he do? He went ahead and he planted these two bags of barley in the, in the ground. And he had a great harvest, and he harvested them. They still didn't come back. So he went ahead and he took the whole harvest and he planted them. And they and he harvested again the second year. And they still didn't come back. Finally, they showed up after seven years. When they showed up after seven years, listen carefully. So they came back and they came to Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yara's house and they said, we're here to pick up our two bags of barley. Amalahem! He said to them, Bo, come here. You see all these silos? See all those silos full of barley? Those are yours. Halachically, halachically, he didn't have to give them that. He had to give them back what they left. Right? But that's what he said. He said, come and take what's yours. Listen carefully. It's a Nehudik Medrash. So the Medrash says, Imagine if a human being could do this, that he took these two things of this investment, like you gave me a dollar, right? 
And for seven years, he didn't show up. I'm like, forget it. I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket with this dollar. And I win, and I take all that money, and I put it in the drawer for you. Because it was your dollar. That's insane, right? That's what he did. That's what he did. So the Medrash says that you learn from here, surely if a human being could do this, surely HaKadosh Baruch Hu did this. And he says something I never saw before, and it's very, right, well, I'll read it to you from inside. I never saw this before, and it's very interesting. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's the first time I ever saw this in a Medrash. Okay. Next story. He went to a city, and in this city, there were mice. There was a terrible plague of mice, and the mice were eating all the food. So they called him, and they said, we need a bracha. Give us a bracha that the mice should leave. So he said to them, what do you mean I should give you a bracha that the mice should leave? You guys are not giving your tzedakah from your food. You're not giving meiser. You're not giving one-tenth from your food. Keroi, the way you're supposed to. He says, If you do give your tzedakah the way you're supposed to, Then the mice can't eat your food. Don't think when a person loses money, right? Oh, well, the whole America is going down the drain. I'm going down the drain. The Medrash is saying that no one can touch your money Unless you're not doing the right thing. So Rapikas Benyar, instead of giving them a bracha, the mice should leave, he said, if there is mice eating your food, that means you're not giving mice. And it said that they checked out, they checked out the city, and they weren't giving the mice the way they were supposed to. And therefore, the minute they took mice from all their food that they were supposed to, all the Akbarim left. Okay. Now listen to this story. This is amazing. Another story the Medrash brings in Pasha's Akev. Pasha's Akev. Akev means the heel. The heel. The heel, I don't know if anybody, and I'm sure there are ball players here, so you'll know what I'm talking about. When I used to play basketball and I was in my getting older and getting heavier, so I used to get something called heel spurs. Heel spurs, when, you jump, when you're heavy and you're jumping on your foot, so you get these spurs on your heel. They are the most painful thing that you can imagine. Now, nobody in this room even knows that you have a heel. You don't feel that you have a heel. You don't even know that you have a heel. But if you get a heel spur, you can't walk. You can't walk. They have these gel things. They put them in your shoes. All this stuff doesn't help. So you don't, you, don't, you don't know that you have a heel until something goes wrong in your heel. You don't even think you need it. So what does my heel do? It has no feeling. It's a hard piece of skin. It doesn't do anything. If you have a heel spur, you'll understand what you have to I don't wish it on anybody. So this week's Pasha Akev, Akev is the heel. The heel are things that people don't think are important. Everybody's into Shabbos. Everybody's into kosher. Everybody's into what the rabbi said. Did he say the right words? Did he say the wrong words? Everybody's very careful with everything. When it comes to money, when it comes to money and halachically what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, that becomes the heel. It's not important. You got these boiler room guys in the basement. They're selling you cameras that are rebuilt and they say they're new. And they're selling you warranties on warranties that don't even exist. They're sketching the world out of their brains. And they think that in the end they're going to make a lot of money. And they're going to fool HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the Akev. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was a very big god. People came to him for every Shiloh you could imagine. Shilohs you can't even imagine. And he turned around once and he said to his Talmud, he says, I don't understand. Nobody ever asked me questions in Choshen Mishpat. Choshen Mishpat is the Shulchan Aruch that talks about 
money between two guys, business. But Moshe said, they come, they ask me, drop of milk and this and that, 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 that. But when it comes to money, everyone has, everyone has their own shulchan aruch. Every guy's a rabbi. Every guy's a rabbi. You don't got to ask the rabbi. I know what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. All of a sudden, nobody asks the rabbi. Nobody. Hey, I get hundreds of calls every day. Hundreds of calls. Guys, girls. I don't get any questions about money. Nobody in this room ever called me and said, Rebbe, can I sell that warranty? Rebbe, I said, I told them that, you know, we don't have any left, but we really have. Nobody asked me. Any. I never get these questions. I get all kinds of crazy questions. This girl said that. Did she mean this? Did she mean that? What's the halacha of this? Nobody ever asked me about money because when it comes to money, everybody's a rabbi. Everybody's his own rabbi. So, Akev is what we think is the heel. When it comes to money, I can do whatever I want. You understand? I can sketch the whole world. Nobody asks any questions. So, specifically, the Medrash and Akev is trying to tell you that there were people, right? There were people that you left them two bags and he planted it and he harvested it and he watered it for seven years. The guy left them $12 worth of Barley, and he came back, and he got twelve million dollars. There is such a person in the world to to do the right thing, because the bottom line is it wasn't his. Rapinchas ben is barley. It wasn't his. He was planting somebody else's barley. Let's listen to this. So he tells another story. There was a man. What he used to do is when the when the Jews used to walk down the street. So he used to dig next to the street, he used to dig holes to find, he knew how to find the hot water and the cold water that came out of the ground so he would dig holes for people to drink and for people to shower, and that's what he used to do for free, that's what he did, he was a big tzaddik, he used to dig holes, he knew Tveria, he knew where the hot water was, he knew where the cold water was, so one day, listen carefully, one day his daughter was walking, and she and she went into the river, she walked into the river, maybe she was swimming in the river Ustafa and she disappeared. And they went running to Rav Pinchas ben Yoya, and they said, Look what happened to this poor girl, the daughter of the guy who dug all the, all the wells for everybody. Look what happened. She drowned in the water. He dug wells for everybody, and she drowned in the water. So Rav Pinchas ben Yoya said to them, It's impossible. Listen to what he said. How could it be that a human being does Hashem's will with water? Hashem is going to reward him that he digs wells of water, that his daughter should, dwe- should die in the thing that he digs in water? It's impossible. All of a sudden, when he said that, they, this is this amazing medrash. All of a sudden, when he said that, they were screaming in the city. And they said, She came out of the other side of the river and she came into the city. She's alive. How did that happen? So the rabbis say, Since Rabbi Pinchas ben said, Hashem, you can't drown her in the water that he, he's doing chesed and you're going to drown him in the same water. How could that be? Yorad Malach. A Malach came from Shemayim. And brought her out of the water and saved her life. So we see from here that if a person does something good for somebody else, it's impossible that with that something that he did good, that, that, that he should be hurt. Okay. You mean a lot of times you do now, you get burned for it? No, not in the same thing that you're doing. Not in the same thing. If your car, you're taking someone and, and you're doing a chesed with your car, 
You're not going to get killed by that same car. It can't be. That's what he said. It can't be. You got a ticket in the car right the now. The ticket is because you're speeding. That's your problem. That's your fault. <laughs> now, he says, I don't know where he gets this from. He says on the bottom that the malach that came to save her was in the shape, in the figure of Rav Shimon ben Shetach. So somehow, there's a machlek, he said it was a malach, or that Rav Shimon ben Shetach, Hashem created a, a, another one of him that went into the water, let's say that. But the bottom line is that if a person does chesed, you can never get hurt by that chesed. Now, so you know, there's a question that, that I have, and, and I, don't, I don't know the answer, maybe you guys can think about it, you'll tell me the answer next week. So many people, you know, don't want to take in kids at risk for Shabbos. So they say, listen, I have a, you know, like I want to send a girl to someone's house, and the girl is 17 years old, and she smokes, whatever, but not on Shabbos, but, you know, she's, she's, she's a kid at risk. So I, I, I call up people, and, and I say, you know, could you take this girl for Shabbos? And the first thing they say is, how old is she? And I say, 17, and they're like, oh, I have a 17-year-old daughter. And that's not good. I'm going to take this girl in. They're going to start talking. She's going to start telling her about her friends. You know, uh, if you have a, you know, uh, if you have a 14-year-old girl or a 12-year-old boy or someone, but the same age as my kid, you know, so according to this medrash, that can't happen. Because according to this medrash, if you're taking in a 17-year-old girl that's at risk, how could that girl that you took in to do a chesed hurt you? The water that you dig for someone else can't hurt you. So I don't know. So I don't know if you can tie that to somebody, but from this measure, it sounds like that you can. But people say that there are such stories where they did chesed, and the kids that they took into their house to do chesed destroyed their good kids. According to this measure, that's impossible. So, Tzorach Eden, we have to think about that. Okay, onward. I'm not, we're not going to be chesed that they did it for the wrong reason. We say that they did it for the right reason. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer. We'll have to think about it. Maybe somebody listening in will call me or send me an email. All right, next story. Now, this is a story that Hashem gave me this week to open up the Sefer for. Because I had a huge question going on in my head. And here was my answer. Listen carefully, and I'll tell you the question. Okay, tell another story. Rav Shimon ben Shatach. Rav Shimon ben Shatach bought a chamor, a donkey, from a Yishmaeli, from an Arab. Right? He was walking... And he found in the neck of the donkey, in the hair, in the neck of the donkey, he found a beautiful, beautiful jewel. So his Tamidim went running and said, I'm all like, Rabbi! Hey, <laughs> grand prize. You be, you're, God, 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 God gave you a, unbelievable. This, you became rich. You're a rich man. You can build Ornava's building. I'm all Rav Shatah says, no. Can you, listen, guys, listen carefully to where you're supposed to be. He said, no, I can't take this jewel. Chamola kachti. I bought a donkey. Evan tovalolo kachti. I didn't buy a good, uh, I, didn't, I didn't pay him for a diamond. I paid him for a chamor. So that would be the wrong thing. So they said to him, it's Tamida, they knew how to learn. And they said... Gezel Akum, which a lot of guys think that you're allowed to steal from an idol worshiper, from a non-Jew, you're allowed to steal. You're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew. That's wrong. The halacha is that if a non-Jew loses an item, so you don't have the mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda on a non-Jew. But you can't steal from it. And the Talmudim said, but Rebbe, this is an Aveda. You found what he lost. 
You know, find your keepers, losers, weepers. Have a good day. The diamond belongs to you, Rebbe. Right? Halakhically, it belongs to you. You don't have to give it back. It's, you didn't, you're not stealing from him. He lost it. Which, by the way, happens a lot. And, and halakhically, if the guy in the store, you went to buy a, a pack of cigarettes, or whatever you went to buy, and the guy, you gave, him a, you gave him a 10. And he thinks you gave him a 20. And he gives you change of a 20. And only you gave him a change. All you do is you gave him a 10. So halakhically, you don't have to tell him. You don't have to tell him you, oh, you gave me too much change. If he gave you too little change, I know you'll tell him. That's not the problem. But if he gave you too much change, halachically, you don't have to tell him because you're not stealing from him. That's an Aveda. You go home, you pull out your pocket, and the guy thought you gave him 100. You gave him a 10. He gave you $90, and, you know, and you're like, <laughs> Hashem, thank you, right? Because you're not high to give it back to him. But could you imagine you go back to that store? Because in the end, and this has happened, this has happened, and it happened to me in a bank where the teller gave me much more than they were supposed to give me. And I walked out of the bank, and I'm talking much more. And I walked out of the bank, and I said, whoa, this is nice. <laughs> and then I said to myself, it's a bank. And it's, they're not Jewish. And they gave it to me. I didn't ask them for it. So halfway home, and it was a lot of money, halfway home I said, but the bottom line is that this teller, at the end of the day, when they do the numbers... Is going to be short in her in her drawer. It's going to be short, seven thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, and she's going to lose her job. And seven thousand dollars is about four months of her job. So I went back, and I gave it back. And the thank you, and the kiddush Hashem, was worth a lot more than seven thousand dollars. Now halakhically. It's her problem to try to figure out who, who, you know. And there are guys that I know, some of the, some guys that I know, that there was a huge mistake, huge mistake in their account. And they're like, I'm not telling them. And in the end, they do find out where it is. And it's a chil Hashem, because they know that you'll, you have it in your account, right? Or if you try to take it out right away, they know that you're, you're a ganaf. To them, you're a ganaf. You're not a ganaf, la lacha, but to them, you're a ganaf. So, so... You have to make the, you don't have to make the Kiddush Hashem, but imagine even on two dollars going back and saying to the Pakistani guy, uh, you gave me two dollars, change too much. He's gonna say, but blessed be the God of Abraham. Right? Even though he won't curse you because he'll never know that you got the money from, but he'll say, blessed be the God of Abraham. Well, what happened over here, listen carefully, his Talmudim said to him, hey, Rebbe, you know the halacha, the halacha is, avedas goy akum, you're not have to return. So listen to what he said. He said, Give it back to that Yishmaeli. Why? Because, you see what's going to happen. He went and he gave it back. And what did the Yishmaeli say? And this Yishmaeli called him and said, Baruch Hashem, blessed is God, Elokei the God of Shimon ben Shatach. What a huge Kiddush Hashem. So he says, Surely, if a, if a, if a bus of a dumb, if a human being can do this, surely Akash Baruch Hu can do this. Now, what, what the, what, um, what he says on the bottom is that from the first story, I don't exactly understand what this means in the next world, but what he said is that from the first story we learn that if you do a mitzvah, Hashem plants it and it grows. In other words, he gave, they left him two bags. And they came back and they had millions of dollars in silos. 
So he says on the bottom of the, of the Medrash where he explains it, he says that when you give Hashem, when you do a mitzvah, you put on tzitzit, whatever you do, you, if someone yells at you, you don't answer back, when you give that to Hashem, you're going to come to the next world, you're not just going to get that mitzvah, it multiplies. It multiplies, and it grows, and you're going to come back and say, I said a nice word to a person, so I expect to get one little teeny malach, it's called a nice word malach, Right? Well, because you said nice word to that person, and that person was an anti-Jew who hated Jews because in school somebody yelled at him, whatever it is, and now you just walked away, you did your little mitzvah, and you're like, okay, you know, it was nice to him. But what, what's, what's going to be planted from that mitzvah, that he's going to become religious and marry a Jewish woman, and they're going to have religious kids, and every time those kids do a mitzvah, and every time he does a mitzvah with his grandchildren, you're going to walk up there, and you're going to say, they're going to say, we want to show you something, and you're going to have this huge, crazy-sized malach. Billion pounds, samurai malach, you know, whatever, whatever they call those guys, right? And, 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 and sumo malach, right? You're gonna say, what is that? And they're gonna say, you remember you said good morning to that guy? When you were crossing the street, you're gonna go like, you get a sumo from a, from a good morning? No, 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 no. But from your good morning, you should know what happened. So Hashem takes your little mitzvah and He makes it grow and He makes it grow and He makes it grow. That's absolutely amazing. Okay. So I just want to tell you another measure that's brought down which I think will give us all very, very, very big emunah in Hashem. Listen carefully. In Mishlei, Shlomo Melech wrote, then I'll let you go. In Mishlei, Shlomo Melech wrote the following. Lech el Namala. I'm very into bugs because right now I'm in the mountains and, and it's just a, bu- a bug fest up there. It's like not normal what's going on up there. You know, my kitchen, the ants own my kitchen. You know, they're like crawling around like, you know, so what'd you bring home from the grocery? Hey, Wallstein, like, you know. So it's like there's, there's bugs, there's, wherever you turn, it's, it's the mountains. And, you know, when you get into August, the end of August, it rains a lot. And it's, it's Lebedic. My, my, my Yeshaya came home the other day. He had a grasshopper and a frog and a couple of other things. And the frog was eating the grasshopper and the grasshopper was eating the other bug. And it's, it's just very interesting. So Shlomo Melek writes in Mishlei, if you want to get smart and you want to learn from something, learn from the ant. Hello, learn from your Rebbe. Learn from Gedolim. Read a new art scroll book. Learn from the ant, right? So he says the following. He says a story like this. What, what did Shlomo Melech see to teach us not to be lazy, right? But to work like the ant. And he says like this. And by the way, just to show you, I mean, we all know the Torah is true. Now, when you're a little kid, they show you, the first thing they show you about in, in biology is the anthill, right? Everybody's seen, I'm sure you've seen the anthill, how it's built, you know, the different, there's different floors in the anthill. Well, here's the Medrash from thousands of years ago, and the Medrash says the following. When he builds his uh, anthill, he has three levels in his house. He doesn't go into the in, into the top floor. He doesn't live on the top floor because of the rain. He's going to drown in the top floor. It rains really hard. He goes into the ant hole. It'll drown him. So he doesn't do that. And he doesn't live in the bottom floor because the ground is muddy down there and he'll get stuck and he'll drown down there. So he lives He lives in the middle floor. The length of an ant's life it's six months. It cannot live longer than six months. Why? Now listen to this. This is amazing. This is where I get my love for, I mean, this, learn Medrash, guys. You gotta learn Medrash. Cause you have all these big biologists. And, and this is, Medrash is, whoa. This has gotta be, 
two and a half thousand, maybe three thousand, two and a half thousand years ago. Okay, before no biology, no college, no Brooklyn College, no Queens College, no college, no biologists, nothing, right? Nothing. This is a medrash. And the medrash says the following. How do you know that an ant can't live more than six months? You know, maybe you'll get a broccoli from another ant. You know, I hope you live to 120, you know? <laughs> you know? Maybe you can live more than six months. How do you can say, that's it, six months, and, they're, and, they're, and that's it, they're done? She says, Lama, how do we know this? Any creation of Hashem in the world that has no veins... So these Chachamim knew that an ant has no veins, but some else, anything that has no veins and no bones, cannot live more than six months. Anything that has no vertebrae and no veins, says the Medrash, the maximum life it can have is six months. Okay. Now, how much does an ant eat in the six months? It looks like, by my kitchen, they eat a lot, but they don't. They carry the food. If you watch them, you should watch them once in a while. They take the food, they put it on their back, <coughs> and they carry it to the to the anthill. I saw it in Eric's show. What's on the castle? Very interesting. All right, that's not why you're supposed to be going to the castle. I just happened to be standing there, and they were going up and down the castle, and they were carrying stuff from the floor. Anyway, listen carefully. It's whole. The most you can eat in a, in six months is chita umechza. One and a half kernels of wheat. That's the, I mean, the whole ant is not one and a half kernels of wheat. So that's all he can eat. Okay. Now. It works the whole summer. And it looks for barley, beans, and kernels of wheat. I don't understand, he says. Its whole life, it can only eat one and a half kernels of wheat. He connesses as elu, velami oisakain, and and she continues to work nonstop. Why does it do that? It has enough food after it's, it brings in one kernel and a half. It has enough. Stop working, but busy as an ant, right? Busy, well, busy as a bee, but but it continues working. So he said, why? Listen to this medrash, boys. Listen to what we have to understand about emuna and Hashem. Why does she do this? Now, on the bottom, he says, like this. He says they opened up an anthill, and they found 72,540 liters. And he says that equals 51,000 kilograms. So they opened up an anthill, and in pounds, if you, do the, if you do the math, they opened up an anthill, you hear this? And they found 40,000 pounds of beans, barley, and wheat. And the whole life of an ant is a bean and a half. So they had enough to live for approximately, if you do the math, four and a half million years. <laughs> okay? So, now, animals are, are programmed by God. Insects are programmed by God. Why would God program something like this to keep it working when it's finished after its first day, it has enough to eat for the rest of its life. So this bothered him. He said, why? So listen. So they asked the ant. They asked the ant. I guess in Ruach HaKodesh. And they said, ant, I don't get you. What are you doing? Why are you killing yourself? 
Workaholics? What's up with you? Relax. Sit down. A little hookah. You know, take it easy. You know, have a drink. Relax. You know, you, like, well, you know. Nope. So what happens? Listen carefully. He answers like this. He says, listen carefully. Love me here. I said, okay. He says, so why do you do this? So she said, she answered him. The little aunt answered him. Shema. Maybe. Yigza olai hakadosh baruch chayim. Maybe God's going to change the nature of the ant. And he's going to say that even though you don't have vertebrae and you don't have veins, now I'm changing the world, you can live for more than six months. And he said, and then when Hashem says that, you want me then to go looking? It's going to be too late. I need to be prepared in case Hashem changes my nature and I can live longer, maybe a million years, maybe two million, I don't know. I got to be prepared. I got to be prepared for anything. They opened up the bar of this ant that answered this question and said, maybe Hashem is going to change you. They found 300 kur, which is 40,000 pounds, which it gathered in the summer in order to live for the winter, which it couldn't live for the whole winter. Just in case. Maybe. Maybe Hashem is going to give me life. Go watch the ant humans. Watch him. Watch what he does and you'll become smart. So here we are 40 days before Rosh Hashanah. This ant collected enough food because maybe Hashem is going to change his mind and give me a long life. We don't have a maybe. We know that on Rosh Hashanah, Hashem is going to judge us how long we're going to live. It's not a maybe. It's more than the ant. So who's collecting for next year, boys? Who's going around putting on tzitzes and going to Minyan and answering a maid and giving tzedakah? Who's collecting so that when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, right, that a Baruch Hu is going to put us in the book of Chaim, in the book of life, in the book of health, in the book of Shidduchim, not in these papers that I have to say every every time I give a share. But in the good papers. New, learn from the ant. Prepare. Elul is a time to prepare. Ask Hashem to help you cross the street. So there's a, there's a famous story, and we, and we have to appreciate, we have to appreciate. That's like the worst thing. We don't appreciate that we're Jews. We really don't. We don't appreciate all these Yom Tovim that we have. And that every day you put on your tefillin, we're so different. Who puts on their guy? They don't put on their, they don't put on tefillin. Put on tefillin and it sits in and a yamaka, you come out of the bathroom, you make a bracha, you drink, you make a bracha, you walk by the mezuzah, you, you have a mezuzah on every single door. We are so different. We're so colorful. We have so many things going on. And we don't like our religion. We, we're like, this is boring. This is not for me. I want to go out and be like the, like the, like the rest of the world. We, we, we live such a colorful life. Forget about all the matamim. You go, you're on Shabbos. The cholent and the kugel and the fish and the soup and the eggs and the, and all the other macholim that the Sfadim have and the Ashkenazim have. Who has this? Who has the Shabbos? The guy have a Sunday. They sit there, they eat the same slice of pizza or the same ribs, right? Or they're stuffing popcorn in their face in front of a TV, watching the Olympics. And then it's not the Olympics, it's football. And then when football season over, it's baseball. When the baseball season over, it's basketball. The same stupid screen, right? 
The same advertisements for Coke and Michelob and whatever else they're advertising for. And they sit there, uh, and then they change the channel, and so it's, uh, and then it's, whoa, and it's, uh. No life. And they have one holiday where some fat guy tries to come down the chimney, and even, even he looks, and even he looks like a rabbi, you know, they put a beard on him. You know, one holiday they have like that. What do you think, where do you think that holiday comes from? We, no, that we don't come down. We don't go down a chimney. We knock on the front door. Wait, you crazy? We go down a chimney. A uh, chimney, I gotta send my suit to the cleaners. It's like on some mice. We don't go down the chimney. Where do you think that whole holiday comes from? Where do you think that whole holiday comes from? So they cut down one tree. Yay, whoopie doo. You know, that's their holiday. But okay, they, you know, they need their holidays. And fine. Since it's, that's their holiday. It's not our holiday. They have one holiday and they're so crazy about it. They spend three months. You know, I, 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 I deal in retail. Three months figuring out what present and who's going to get the eggnog and who's going to get the tree. And they're so busy for three months. Starts in September. September, they're already buying for their, you know, December holiday. And we wait till the last second. Oh, you got, you, you got an S-ring? Anything left? You know, you got a sukkah, pop up sukkah. Bing, bing, pops up. You know, you got something. Because I, I don't got time to build a sukkah. You know, I don't got time to build a sukkah. You know, all our mitzvahs, you know. Give me that undershirt with the tits and stuff, you know. Or just slip it on, slip it off, you know. All our mitzvahs, they put on tulin, take off tulin. You know, it's like, uh, it takes 10 seconds to take your blood pressure. So you put your tulin on for 10 seconds. You think you're taking your blood pressure. We have so many beautiful mitzvahs. And, and we just totally ignore them. We don't know who we are. There's a very cute story about this guy who came from the, he wasn't a guy, he never saw a train, he was never on a train, he came from the woods, he came from a peasant, you know, village, and his uncle was very, very wealthy, and his uncle wanted him to come to visit him in the big, I think it was in, um, what's the, what's in Warsaw, to come to, it's a true story, to come to Warsaw, to the big town, and he lived in some peasant village out who knows where, so his, his uncle sent him a first class ticket on the train to Warsaw. Now in those days, first class ticket, you had a bed, and you had a waiter. It wasn't, uh, the train was a zayin azat, you know what I mean? Didn't have that many people on the train, so it was like a very, very big deal. Anyway, this guy, he's got this first class ticket, cost his uncle a lot of money. He comes to the train, and he sees, right, everybody's waiting for the train. He's never been on a train before in his life. And he sees like six, eight guys, right, standing on the platform. They're looking around, they're looking around, they're looking around. All of a sudden, the train starts moving, and these like eight guys looking around, and there's a cattle car at the end of the whole train. Right? And like, they're vagrants, and they jump onto this cattle car. And they roll into the, you know, hay, and he's like, oh my goodness, he does the same thing. Right? And there he is, on this train ride, it's going for miles, and they all stink in there, because they're with the cows, right? There's manure all over the place. He's laying, he doesn't know, this is a train, you know? All the other guys seem to be having a good time. All of a sudden, they're like, halfway to Warsaw, he's, he's in the, He's sitting in this train. He already stinks totally. And, and you know, they have to keep moving because the cow moves. You have to move. The cow moves. You have to move. So these guys are all moving and pushing and kicking and this and that. All of a sudden, the train stops. Train stops. They're all like, uh-oh. Right? Two seconds later, the conductor is in, the, in, the, in that car. He's like, come on, guys. No free rides. Got a ticket? The guy, first vacant goes like, Let's get out of here. They all jump from both sides of the train, you know, and they're running through the field. And this guy is like peeking out from behind a cow, right? And he's hoping he doesn't get caught. And the guy walks over to him and says, oh, you get off the train also. He goes, what do you mean get off the train? I, I have a ticket. He goes, you have a ticket? What do you mean you have a ticket? Let me see a ticket. 
liar. You don't have no ticket. You guys that try to do this all the time, jump on the train, get a free ride. He goes, no, no, my uncle sent me a ticket. I have a ticket. Hold on. He's looking through his jacket, and he pulls out his first-class ticket. And the conductor looks at him and says, what is wrong with you? Why are you in this car with the cows and the vagrants? You're supposed to be in the, in the front berth car. You're supposed to have champagne, and you're supposed to have all kinds of delicacies, and you're supposed to have a bed. What are you doing in the cattle car? The guy says, I don't know. I saw everybody jump in. I also jumped in. No. So why are we all in the cattle car, boys? We're living in America. Hashem gave us that we're different, that we have all these young tovim. He gave us a first-class ticket. This is your first-class ticket. He says, you're not like everybody else. You have a Chumash, you have a Torah, you have 613 mitzvahs, you're special, you're a first-class citizen. But we see everybody jumping into the cattle car, going to their movies, going to their places, going to the casinos, hanging out, you know, in this, in this toilet, in this garbage, and we go running to be with them, to be in that part of the car. And in the end, when we come to Shemaim after 120 years and we reek and we stink from all the various that we do and the Malachim say, what are you doing? So what do you mean I'm doing? I was hanging out with Jimmy and I was hanging out with Billy and I was hanging out with this one and I was listening to this kind of music I was listening to that kind of music and I'm in the culture and I'm that. and they're like, but Hashem gave you a first class ticket. Why did you jump into the cattle car? You had a first class ticket and you let it go. And Elul is a time to realize before we stand Rosh Hashanah before Hashem as Jewish people being judged we have to realize that we have the first class ticket. We have to focus on that. We have to plan how to get out of the cattle car into the first car. And that's our job for the next 40 days to appreciate and to be ready. We have to be ready guys. The king is going to make a big party and everybody I asked what do you want me to speak about so one guy said the Yankees I heard a mumble about that. But I don't do TSMA since I can't help you with them, right? The other, some other guy said, some other guy said, Mashiach. You all want Mashiach, right? We want Mashiach now. Wow, great song, you know? And the last song by the wedding, you know? Mashiach. What are you going to do when Mashiach comes? You're ready for Mashiach. I'm ready for Mashiach. Any of us are ready for Mashiach. Mashiach, sure, Mashiach, I want Mashiach. What, what do you want? What do you want from Mashiach? What do you want from him? To make everyone feel good? To bring back all the dead people that you miss. That's what Mashiach's about. That's not what Mashiach's about. The other side can do that. The other side can bring dead people back. No problem. The other side can heal people. The dark side. You don't need Mashiach for that. We need Mashiach so that we can see Hashem. That Hashem can come back into this world. That God can come out of Gullus. What are you guys going to do when you see Hashem? Are you prepared to see Hashem? Is there anyone in this room, including myself, we're prepared to see Hashem? No, we want Mashiach. You don't even know why you want Mashiach. You don't, you don't even really believe that Mashiach is coming. I'll prove to you you don't believe that Mashiach is coming. King came out one day to all his peasants, all of us, Hashem, the king, came out to all his peasants. He said, listen, the time has come. You guys have really worked hard all your lives. The time has come. 
I am going to make a party for you like you never, ever saw in your life. There's going to be gold dishes and lamb chops, and every single person is going to have a glass of wine. And when you finish that glass of wine, we're going to find out how old you are, and you're going to have another glass of wine that age. And you're going to have a cigar that age. It's going to be the most amazing party. How many people do I have in my land? Two and a half million. I'm going to make this party for two and a half million people. It's going to be, it's going to last for weeks, like Akashverosh's party. Be ready. So, this announcement went out to all the peasants. They're like, okay, let's see. Two million people. He's got to buy dishes. He's got to do a lot of shechit. He's got he's to do a lot of shechit to a lot of cows. And, and, and we're going to have, uh, what's that fish? The fish eggs, whatever it's called. Caviar. We're going to caviar to get the caviar from Russia. It's going to take uh, who knows how long. Right? And so, they were all figuring two to three years before this party happens. Now, how are we going to live for those two to three years? We gotta go to work. So they all went back to their fields with their dungarees and their and their t-shirts, and they went back to work. There was a group of peasants that said, When that king opens that door, we can't be dressed like this and smelling from the field. They won't let us in. The king has the ability to throw this party tomorrow. He's a king. Who knows how long he's been working on this party? Maybe he's working on it for two years. So this little group of peasants went home, took a shower, shaved, put on their nicest Shabbos clothing, and went and stood in front of the palace. Now, when all the peasants that were working saw this little group of 20 guys standing there, they said, what are you, stupid? You guys are going to starve. You're going to starve. The king's party is not going to be for two years. You're going to stand there not work. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to have food. You're not going to have a house. You're going to get thrown out. What are you doing? Get your stupid suits off. Get dressed and go to work. They're like... You don't know the king. We don't, you don't know. We gotta be ready. Twenty minutes later, the door opens, and there's the king. And there's twenty guys. And where's this two million people? He invited them all to the party. There's only twenty guys. So, he says to the twenty guys, looks, sees that they're all dressed well, he says, you're all invited, come into my party. And then, all of a sudden, the word gets out. The king opened the doors, the party's ready. And all the peasants, they don't have time to go home. So they all come running to the gate. We want to come in. The king says, you can't come to my party dressed like that. Well, we'll go home. We'll take a shower. We'll change. Too late. The door's open for another two minutes. But I'll tell you what, he says. I need waiters. So all you people, this is not a joke, because it's brought down. This is brought down in a very holy place. And he says, all you people who are not ready... And all you people are dressed in dungarees. You're going to serve the 20 people because you didn't believe that I had the ability to make this party when I invited you. So it's brought down in a very holy safer that when Mashiach comes, we say every day, Hashem says, Hashem is inviting us to the party. Mashiach's coming and you're all invited to come to Mashiach. But nobody really believes him. We all go to work. And we do our stupidities. And we go on the internet. And we do all our garbage. And when Mashiach is also going to be here, they're going to say, who are the people already? There are 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 18 million Jews. There's just going to be a handful at the door. I've been waiting for you. I knew you, I knew, I knew you could bring Mashiach. So I've been doing chuv every day. 
and I'm davening with minion every day, and I'm wearing my tzitzis, and I have shmir saying nayim, I'm watching not to look at things I shouldn't look at, and I'm off the internet, and I'm not watching movies. You know why? Because I know when Mashiach comes, you're not letting me in if I'm in the middle of a movie. You're not letting me in if that's where my head is. I'm not going to get in the door. So yeah, everybody's screaming, we want Mashiach, but we're not getting ready. We're all in our dungarees. We all reek. So when the door opens, we're not getting in. Only the ones that have worked. Yeah, the Chafetz Chaim had a suitcase. And had his suitcase packed. He was a Kayin. And had his knife ready to do Shechita and Karmanais. It was stood at his door. He was prepared if Mashiach came. There are a few. There was a Jew in, um, in Washington Heights. Very famous. And you know, Washington Heights, they're yekis, and they're very clean people. And there was this one Kohen in Washington Heights that had a thumbnail that was about this long. That's pretty disgusting. Right? A thumbnail. I know there's some, there's some crazy thing. I don't know. I see some people that have episode. Pinky nail that's very long. I don't understand what that means exactly. It's shined and it's cleaned and I don't know if it's Russian or where it comes from or whatever it is, but they have this, ugh, disgusting. I see, no, I see, I mean, I see religious people that, you know, and they have this long, you know, pinky, and I'm like, I don't know what the deal with that is, but whatever it is, maybe, maybe to get into that, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know exactly why, but, but, in the Torah, boys, in the Torah, there's something called Malika, you know what Malika is? Malika is that by a bird, when you bring a bird as a carbon to the base on Migdash, you didn't shecht it with a knife, but Cohen had a long nail, and he sharpened the side of his nail, and they would pull the bird's head back, and he would shecht the bird in a motion, he actually was holding the bird in his hand, and the nail on this side was sharp, and he would pull the head back, and he would do a shechita with his nail. And that was called Malika. So listen to this. So this German Jew, who lived in Washington, who was a Kohen, had this thumbnail this long. So they asked him, you know, they're very clean people, why do you have that thumbnail? And he said, what are you talking about? He says, Mashiach's coming, and when Mashiach comes, who, what Kohen is going to be able to do Malika. So, until you grow the nail, it's going to take three, four months. So, all the Kahanim, including Rabbi Wallerstein, who doesn't have that nail, is not going to be able to do Malika. So, I'm going to be the Kahane, who's going to have the thumbnail, so I'm going to be the Kahane that's going to do Malika on all the, on all the birds. That's being prepared at the gate of the king for Mashiach. Are we? Are we prepared like that? Think about it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.